Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Connect Church family, it is so good to have you here today. And let me ask you that question. Who is your one? Over two years ago, we launched the Who's Your One campaign, the challenge. And that is this in simple language. It is this challenge and the very heart behind it is to prioritize one. One person who is lost. One person who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The one person in your life that you can win to Jesus Christ. Who is your one? Now, how many of you guys were around a couple years ago when we launched this uh, challenge the first time? Would you raise your hands? Yeah, a good number of you guys. And there are many more who weren't. But I'm going to tell you what I love the most. After this campaign was launched... We had wonderful stories coming in. In the earlier hour, I saw a mom sitting up towards the front, and I remember the Sunday she came to me and said, Pastor Anthony, my one was my son. And this past weekend, he gave his heart and his life to Jesus. I loved how you brought your coworkers in and friends and family who didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we saw many of your ones saved. We saw them baptized, and we see them walking with Jesus today. The Who's Your One Challenge is powerful and strong. And by the way, church, we relaunch it again today. In the Life of Connect Church, we relaunch the Who's Your One Challenge. You know, sometimes in this mission, in God's mission to save the world, everything seems so big and, and so complex. This challenge is this simple. Who's your one? And when you're one to Jesus. And you might be sitting there today and might be asking this question in your heart. Does one really matter? In God's mission to save the whole world, does one really matter? I remember a couple months ago, and I made mention of this in the service, my wife and I were awakened at about 3.45 in the morning by our fire alarm. Guys, it's never happened in my life that in the middle of the night, I've been woken up by a fire alarm, but it happened. And so we immediately jumped out of bed and started grabbing our kids and our dogs, and we rushed out to the front lawn, and we kind of assembled together and started counting everybody, right, just to make sure everybody was out of the house. And thankfully on that night, there was no fire to be seen. But what if, what if instead of it being a false alarm, what if there really was a fire? Hey, what if instead of just waking up to an alarm, there was smoke and, and there were flames? And in the rush of trying to get all the kids, we have four children and, and all the dogs out of the house. What if we got on that front lawn, we assembled together, and I began to count, and I noticed, oh no, where's Avery, my oldest daughter? Or Chloe's not here. Or Sadie, my youngest daughter, is nowhere to be found. Or, or my boy Bennett. Where is he? Do you think for a moment I would hesitate? That I'd give a second thought? I want you to hear me without hesitation, without question. I would run back into our home. I would run into whatever fire it took. Because why? Because my one, my child, is inside of that home. I would face whatever fire. I would die in whatever fire it took to search for, to look for, to find, and to save my child. 
who is in the fire. In fact, any of you would do just that. You know, I think of Jesus. I think of the gospel. And isn't that what he did? Hey, isn't that what he did for you and for I? Aren't we thankful today that we were Jesus's one? Come to think of it, that's what the gospel is all about. Let me share this with you. One matters when that one is yours. I I want you to hear me. What does one person really matter? It means everything. That one person matters when it's your one. And so let me ask you, church, who's your one? I want to take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 15. And as you do, a couple of years ago, uh, we were living in Charlotte, serving in Charlotte. We were on campus at our church. We were at a, a large church. And uh, one night we went to some friend's house for a Fourth of July party. Man, I love fireworks. But let me tell you somebody who doesn't love fireworks. My dogs, okay? They just can't stand them. You know, uh, dogs just don't like fireworks shows. Well, while we were gone, we thought we were a pretty safe place in our home on campus and uh and a couple guys decided to pull right next to our front yard and an empty lot there illegally blow off fireworks, which at any other occasion would have been pretty cool, except for my dogs were out. And my oldest dog, Willow, who I love, who just about a year and a half ago went home to be with Jesus. Yes, I know the theological problems with that. Just let me have that. Uh, she died a year and a half ago. Man, she started seeing them fireworks and hearing them. And man, she took off. By the time we got home from our 4th of July party, she was nowhere to be found. So you know what I did? I got in my truck, and I got a flashlight, and for the next three or four hours, I drove through the woods, shining my flashlight, calling her name, whistling, Willow, come, Willow, come. I went on the main highways, I went on every road, and I just couldn't fight her. I went home and went to bed for a little bit, and then I woke up about two hours later, I took the whole day off of work, and I went out and I searched for my dog. Guys, I could not find her. I, I, was, I was heart sick. I, just, I was sick to my stomach. I couldn't think of anything else. Well, I couldn't find her, and so Aaron and I decided to go to Facebook. And we decided to go to Lost and Found Pets of Union County to put her picture up there because maybe just maybe somebody had seen her. We went to the Lost and Found department on Facebook. Trust me, only good thing on there. And so we went there, we posted a picture of our dog, and do you know that within hours, somebody had located our dog? You see, my willow had ran from our yard and was on a main highway, and she was tucked down next to a concrete barrier as cars were passing by her. And somebody was loving enough to stop their car in the middle of that highway, pick her up, put her in the car, and the next day we went and go pick her up. And and I'm going to tell you something. When I saw my dog, man, I broke down. I I grabbed her in my arm, and it's it's a dog, right? But I grabbed her, and man, I just was so grateful, so thankful to God. That, That which was lost is now found, and she's in my arms again. Thank God for the lost and found department on Facebook. You know where we find ourselves today in God's Word? We find ourselves in the lost and found department in Scripture, in the Bible. In your Bibles in Luke chapter 15, we'll read the stories of a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. But today, we focus in 
on the lost sheep. And here's what it says in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Well, who's this him? Well, of course, it's Jesus. The Bible says this, that the tax collectors, the sinners, the worst of society, they were all drawn in to hear Jesus speak. I read that verse and I go, man, what a crowd. No self-respecting, no self-respected religious leader would ever find himself in that crowd. And yet, here is the Son of God himself working to redeem that crowd. And here they are listening to him. And as I read my New Testament, you know what I always find amazing is how many people are drawn to Jesus. And trust me, I'm not talking religious people. I'm talking about how many sinners are drawn to Jesus. Think of his birth. There at the very beginning, the shepherds who were so low in society, so disrespected, so ignored, the shepherds, they were amazed by him. Children were adored by him. I think about men who accompanied him, women who admired him, even Samaritans acclaimed him. Pilate, the leader, was astonished by him. A centurion acknowledged him as the very son of God. All heaven applauded him. Sinners approached him. Broken people were attracted to him. And lost people were accepted by him. Man, there's just something about Jesus. Isn't there? Just something about him. Ah, but in verse 2, Here's where we find the antagonists. The Bible says this, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they begin to mutter. Don't you just hate when people mutter? You know what that means. I don't even have to go to the Greek with you on that one. You know what muttering sounds like. Well, these religious leaders begin to mutter, and here's what the Bible says. This is Jesus' reputation. You ready? This man welcomes, and he eats with sinners. This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them, the Bible says. Hey, can we stop for a moment? And can we just thank God that that verse is in there? Hey, can we thank God that Jesus welcomes sinners and he eats with them? Why? Because the fact that Jesus welcomed and ate with sinners in Luke 15 means that Jesus still welcomes and eats with sinners in 2021. It means that this, that Jesus can welcome somebody like you and somebody like me. He'd even sit down with us and share a meal. And there's just something about Jesus. In Luke chapter 7, verse 34, maybe one of my favorite titles for Jesus. What Jesus was known for, you ready? It says this in Luke 7, 34, that Jesus is a friend of sinners. That Jesus is a very friend of sinners. And you know why I love that? Because... That means he could be my friend and yours. That means he can be friends with anybody who wants to be friends with him. Jesus, the friend of sinners. And I got to thinking that while Jesus was a friend of sinners, it seems as if the Pharisees feared sinners. While Jesus welcomed sinners, it seems as if the Pharisees wanted nothing to do with them and went out of their way to avoid sinners at all costs. Hey, church, can I just challenge you here? May you and I look more like Jesus than we do like Pharisees when it comes to people who are lost. Hey, can I challenge you to look more like Jesus 
than like the religious elite in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15 when it comes to lost people? And let me ask you this question again. Who's your one? Adrian Rogers, the great preacher, talked about an ad he had seen in the newspaper. You see, a family had lost their dog, and so they took out an ad for their dog in the lost and found section of the newspaper. And here's the ad. Lost dog in bold letters. Crippled in front paw, blind in the left eye, mange on the back and neck, tail missing and recently neutered. And they wrote this, answers to the name Lucky. Hey, you know what? That is one lucky dog, and here's why. Because despite everything wrong with him, somebody still loved him, and somebody was still looking for him. You know, I got to thinking about my life. You know, I got a lot of wrong in my life and in my past. And maybe, just maybe, you got some stuff wrong with you too. And although I don't believe in luck, Here's what I do believe in, the very love of the Lord. <laughs> no matter what is wrong with us, the love of the Lord is looking and searching for you and for me. He wants us when the rest of the world have nothing to do with it. Man, He wants us. He's looking for us, even though we got some things wrong in our lives. Now, as we talk about this conversation of Jesus being the friend of, of sinners and, and, and meeting with sinners and tax collectors, I think it's important to know that in this conversation, that Jesus didn't have to drink with the drunkard. Jesus didn't have to go to Golden Corral and eat a buffet with the glutton. Jesus didn't have to sleep with the prostitute. To love, to search for them, and to reach them with the very good news of God's love for them. Hey, he didn't have to do any of that stuff to welcome sinners or to eat with them. You know what's amazing about Jesus? That we never find him in the context of sinners. We never find him catering to their sin or being compromised in his convictions. He simply cared for people, for sinners. And I love that about Jesus because there's just something about him that I really love. Because here's what we find out. You ready? As we read on in the text, that Jesus not only receives sinners, but watch this church, he retrieves them as well. Jesus, hear me, Jesus is the friend of sinners. And yet at the same time is the fiercest enemy of our sin. Jesus is the friend of every sinner. But in his holiness and his goodness, knowing what the end of sin is in our life, he is the fiercest enemy of all sin. But not only does he receive us, but he retrieves us. Look at verse 3. And then Jesus told them a parable. The word parable in the Greek literally means to come alongside of. What Jesus would do, and he was masterful at, was to take stories and short stories, and by telling that story, reveal some deep spiritual truth and so he's fixing to drop a truth bomb here in Luke chapter 15 then Jesus told him this parable suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it L listen in our culture and community today 
Sheep really aren't our thing, are they? Uh, we don't know a whole lot about sheep. We don't know what it takes really to keep these guys alive. It's just not a part of our culture. Now, if Jesus were to tell a parable about traffic, we'd understand that parable, right? But when it comes to sheep, we don't know a lot about sheep. But in Jesus' day, for those who were listening to him, they knew a whole lot about this sheep. And they knew a whole lot about the shepherd. And so we begin to ask this question of this parable today. When it comes to sheep, what is it about one lost sheep? What is the significance of one lost sheep, and why does it even, why does it even matter? And I read this one author, I love it, his story, and he said this about a sheep. A lost sheep in the Judean wilderness was doomed. It had no protection. It would be just a matter of time, a short time, that coyotes or a predator would find and stalk and attack and kill a lost sheep. He said this, that you know what? A a lost dog might eventually find his way home, but a lost sheep can never find its way home. It can never find its way back again to the shepherd. And, And as such, a lost sheep, serves as the picture of the lost sinner. A sinner at times doesn't even know that they're lost and headed for destruction, but the truth is they, they are. Even a lost person, if they were to become aware, a lost sheep would become aware of their lostness, of their plight. The picture that is painted still is of a person, of a sheep that is hopeless and that is helpless without it's shepherd. You know why? Paul reminds us this in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, but they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. I want you to hear me. The picture of those who are lost, apart from Christ their shepherd, is one of hopelessness and helplessness. And we see that here in Luke chapter 15. But you know what? I didn't even have to read that in Luke chapter 15 to know that's true. Hey, hey, believer, remember the day you were the lost sheep? I do. I wasn't saved until I was 15 years old. I I remember a life before Jesus. I I remember what it was like to be a lost sheep, hopeless and helpless, without my Savior, without my shepherd. Do you remember that day? But here's what we find, that God intervenes in the story, and we're going to see this, that God intervenes in the story. And I just want to remind you, aren't you thankful that God intervened? That God intervened when you and I were lost, when we were weary and we were worn. God intervened for us. And I'm going to tell you, I can't thank him enough. You know, God did what we couldn't do for ourselves. He launches a search and rescue operation. God clothes himself in flesh in Jesus. Launches his search and rescue operation for you and for I. Why? Because Luke 19.10 sums it up. Because Jesus came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus prioritized going after the lost sheep. Jesus prioritized his mission to go after those who are lost. Catch this. Jesus, God in the flesh, called the good shepherd in John chapter 10, prioritized the one over the 99 in Luke chapter 15. Now listen to me. Hey, 99, listen up. Jesus loves and he cares for us. 
He provides for us. He knows your name. He hears your heart. He catches your tears. And he is intimately involved in your life. But hear me, the priority mission before him and before his church is to mobilize you and I to go after the lost sheep. That was the priority on his heart and in his mind. Let me tell you what happens in a church, though. You ready? Is that when churches begin to grow and churches uh, begin to like their church and things are going great, is that we shift our focus off the lost sheep and we put it back on the 99. We put it back on each other. How can we just meet our own needs? Now, Now listen to me. We love groups, we love serving, we love gathering together. And man, it is a priority of Connect Church, but the priority of Connect Church and any church of Jesus Christ and day, the priority of any church ought to be launching search and rescue operations for the lost sheep. Is going after the lost sheep in our families, in our home, in our community. Who's the lost sheep in your life? Who's your one? The the person who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ in your family, among your coworkers, in your friend groups. Uh, The one who who you go and you see every day out in the community or you go to school and they're sitting next to you in class. They're on the team with you. Who's the one who's just a recent stranger that God has brought into your life? Who is your one today? And how much of a priority is it in your life, church, to go after the one? Can I show you something interesting here in verse 4? I want to know, is you know what's amazing about this old lost sheep? At not one point in the parable do you find it going after the shepherd. At not one point he says, and that poor sheep was looking for its shepherd. Oh, that poor sheep looked all day and night and finally found its shepherds. There's nothing like that. We don't see anything. Sheep don't look for their shepherd. In fact, here's the truth, that it was the shepherd in this story who initiated the search and rescue operation for the lost sheep. We're reminded in 1 John 4, 19, that we love because he first loved us. And you know what's amazing? I remember the day I was saved when I was 15 years old. And what's amazing is, is I used to think that I went and searched after the Lord, and finally I found him. But the day he found me, I was convinced that he had been searching for me all along, that there wasn't a moment, even when I wasn't looking for him, there wasn't a moment that he was not searching and looking and running after me. And so just on the day that you think you found Jesus, you realize this, that he's the one who found you because he had been looking and searching for you the whole time. I love what one theologian wrote. He said this, many rabbis, many teachers, the time of Jesus, believed that God received the sinner who came to him the right way. So imagine the Pharisees and the teachers of the law as they're sitting there thinking, uh, when it comes to sinners, we have nothing to do with them unless they come to God in the right way. And here comes Jesus with a parable of the shepherd and the lost sheep. And Jesus teaches these religious leaders that God actively seeks the lost, that he doesn't do so grudgingly as he receives the lost, but he lovingly searches after them. It was a revolutionary teaching that did not make sense to those who were religious, but it did mean everything to those who weren't, to the lost sheep. 
Uh, the late teacher, uh, Bible teacher Harry Ironside said this one time. He talked of a new believer who gave his testimony in a church service much like this one one time. There was a deacon who had invited him to come in, knew he was new to the faith, and wanted him to address his church and to tell how God had delivered him from a life of sin. Now this young boy comes up there, he begins to share of how God had delivered him. He gave all the glory to the Lord saying nothing about anything that he had done. Now this deacon in charge of this meeting, very legalistic man, and thought when it came to salvation, yes, God did his part, but you got to do your part as well. So after the service, he goes up to the young man and says, hey, listen, you seem to indicate that God did everything when he saved you. And he asked the new believer, didn't you do your part before God did his? The new Christian jumped to his feet and said, oh, yes, I did. For more than 30 years, I ran away from God as fast as my sins could carry me. That was my part. But God looked out after me, and he ran me down, and that was his part. Hey, I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that although I did my part in my sin and my rebellion against God, I'm sure grateful God did his part in sending his son and looking at after me, coming down, following after me, searching for me until he found me and until he saved me. A couple weeks ago, you saw in the first song today, we celebrated our outdoor baptism. And man, I love it. I love every story that we got to baptize. There's one that sticks out of my mind, uh, especially in light of this morning. And it was Jace's baptism. Take a look at the screen. Here's a, a still shot from his baptism. David is, Pastor David is baptizing Jace, and that's his family. And I love his story because back at VBS this summer, Jace was sitting in the gospel presentation part of VBS. Uh, David Ogle, a dear friend and a wonderful servant in life at Connect Church, was preaching the gospel. His text, Luke chapter 15, he was talking about the lost sheep. And he shared the gospel, talked how Jesus left the 99 and came after the one. Well, Jace gave his heart and his life to Jesus that night and was saved. We got to baptize him, of course, a couple of weeks ago. But what I loved is I was standing out in the lobby that night, and Jace came and found me. And he said, hey, Pastor Anthony, I just want to let you know, he's got tears coming down. And that either means somebody hit him, he got hurt, or God was up to something. He said, Pastor Anthony, I want to let you know that I gave my heart and my life to Jesus tonight. Man, I hugged him. He cried. It was just a sweet moment. Well, I asked our team, and they readily shared what happened. You see, that night, after David talked about the lost sheep, Jay sought out Pastor Dominic, my brother. And my brother began to talk with him and talk with him about his decision. He said, Jace was just, he was just crying. Tears of joy as he talked with him. And Dominic asked him, said, Jace, what stuck out to you? What hit you the most tonight? And here's Jace's words. You ready? I just can't get over Jesus leaving the 99 to come after me. <laughs> I, this is from a young man. I just can't get over Jesus leaving the 99 and coming after me. Hey, hey church family, you ready? May we never get over the truth, the reality that Jesus left the 99 to come after the one and in light of all he's done for us, let me ask you, church, who's your one? Who is your one? You know, I pray that 
none of us ever get over what Jesus has done. And rather, that that truth would serve as a catalyst for you and I to reach our one. Can I tell you what's really cool about your one, by the way? And and trust me, in just a minute, we're going to do some work with your one. Hey, can I tell you what's really cool about your one? Your one is Jesus' one, too. Your one is Jesus' one, too. The Bible reminds us this in 2 Peter 3, 9, that when it comes to Jesus, he doesn't want any, any to perish, but everyone to come to him in repentance. Your one is Jesus' one, too. And you say, well, Anthony, what is the win? What is the importance of having a one? A one person who's lost that I'm going to commit today to go after. I'm going to commit today to love and to pray for and to serve and to share the gospel. What's the win there? You ready? The win is that you and I get to launch some parties in heaven. The win is launching parties in heaven. Look what it says here. I love this in verse 5. The Bible says, and when he finds it, meaning the lost sheep, He joyfully, the shepherd joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. He calls the friends and the neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. One of the great joys of winning your one to Jesus is the parties it sets off in heaven that come alongside of you and celebrate what God has done. Can I tell you something cool about the shepherd? You know, in this parable, when he finally finds the lost sheep, you know what it doesn't say he does? When he finds the lost sheep, he doesn't go, how dare you, lost sheep? How dare you? He doesn't scold the lost sheep. You ready? He doesn't. Kick the lost sheep. He doesn't take a whip and drive that lost sheep back into the fold. You know what the Bible says? That this good shepherd, he takes the sheep. He picks the sheep up. He puts the sheep on his his shoulders. And he carries them back home. And I got to thinking, isn't it an amazing place to be on the shoulders of the shepherd? I want you to think of it. When it comes to the shepherd and his shoulders, it meant this, that the sheep who was once lost is now close again to the shepherd forever. That sheep will never be lost again because he's on the shepherd's shoulders. The sheep is secure on the shoulders of the shepherd. Listen to the good shepherd himself when he begins to talk about the sheep. In John 10, 28, he says this about the sheep. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given to them, to me, is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. I begin to think of how wonderful of a place the, sh- the shepherds are of the shoulders. The shoulders of the shepherd are. How wonderful a place it must be for the lost sheep. To be on his shoulders, safe and secure, to be found when he once was lost. Let me tell you what happens, church, when you and I begin to prioritize the lost sheep. 
when we begin, we begin this challenge of who's your one, is you and I get to know the joy of what it is to find sheep and to help put them on the shepherd's shoulders. What a great joy. Hey, a great joy that many of us have yet to know. Hey, if statistics are right in the life of Connect Church, most of the people in this room have never led one person to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I hope we're a little bit different. But I'm going to tell you, church, there's a joy. A joy that is found alone. When you find a sheep that has been lost and you do everything you can to help put that sheep on the shepherd's shoulders. It's a joy that you only know when you found a lost sheep. Now, I love this. Uh, back when we launched this, I have a dear friend in the life of this church. And uh, he's, he's an older man. And he lives by himself. He has a, a neighbor that he, he truly loves. And when the neighbor came and moved next to him and, and they began to talk and begin to have a relationship, that neighbor became his one. The one whom he would love and serve and befriend and, and the one he cared for. And, and that neighbor would become the person he would talk to Jesus about and invite him to come to church. And, and his neighbor became his one. I remember the first Sunday that his neighbor walked into the church. He came and found me and said, Anthony, my, my neighbor's here. I went up and said hi to him. They sat right back here in the back. I'll never forget, we preached the, the message that Sunday, and I gave the invitation for someone to come to faith in Jesus, and I had people look up. Well, as I scanned the room, there was his neighbor looking up at me, tears in his eyes. And I remember, man, this is so cool. And I don't always do this, but I went and found my buddy. And I said, listen, you got to hear me. Your neighbor placed his faith and trust in Jesus today. Oh, and my buddy cried, and he just thought it was the best thing. And He'd been used to God to help get that one on the shoulders of his shepherd, of his Savior. We asked the question early on, does one really matter? Well, about two months ago, his neighbor out in his driveway suffered a medical emergency and just like that, had died. My buddy called me and, man, he was just so heartbroken. His buddy, his friend had died tragically and suddenly. And I remember hearing, you know what I got to do? I got to remind him that his one, that his neighbor was loved by him and cared for by him. And that my buddy had loved him enough to talk with him about Jesus and to, and to bring him to church. And though he was heartbroken, we were filled with hope in that conversation. Why? Because my buddy decided to make his neighbor his one and to do everything he could to make sure his neighbor knew Jesus. And because of that, right now, his neighbor's in heaven, worshiping at the feet of Jesus. Hey, let me ask you this, church. Who is your one? Who's your one? You say, Anthony, what's the next steps in this challenge? You ready? Let's go there. On your seats, you're going to find a tab, like a, a piece of paper right here, a card. I, I want everybody to grab that if you would. If you don't have one, raise your hand and Pastor David will get one. Or you can steal one from an empty seat around you. I want you to take hold of this. And here's what, what you have. 
is you have a who's your one card. And you're going to put your one's name on two places. One across the top tab that looks like this. And then the other is going to be at the top of this bookmark. And here's what I want you to do. I want you right now. Now, most of you, as I preach this message, you already know your one. You already know their name. They've been on your heart the entire time, sorry, sheep, that I have preached. You know who your one is. So what is our next steps? Number one, today we launch a search and rescue mission for your one, for your one. So here's what I want you to do. Grab a pen, and I want you to put their name at the top of this card and on the top of this bookmark. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to take this card right here, the top part, and where you meet with God every day, I want you to keep this card. Maybe put it in your Bible. Maybe put it on a nightstand. Maybe put it next to your chair. Where it is that you meet with God. Maybe it's in your office. I want you to put their name. Because every day I want you to begin to pray for them. For God to save them. For God to find them. And for them to come to faith and trust in Jesus. Now, the second part of that insert that you have is a, is a bookmark. I want this in your physical Bible. You put the name of your one up there, and you have a 30-day scripture and prayer guide to pray over your one. 30 days, these scriptures, you can read them, and you can begin to pray over your one with those scriptures. Today, we launch a search and rescue operation for your one. So let me ask you, who's your one? Now, you might say to yourself, uh, Anthony, I, I, I don't know any people who are lost. I've got a quick remedy. Head down to Walmart. Go to Lowe's. Sit down at a restaurant with a waitress or a waiter. Open your eyes. Engage. Listen, this may be the only time you hear preachers say this. Hey, church, hang with some sinners sometimes. There are people who surround us who don't know Jesus. Guys, you've got to leave the 99. And you're going to find many ones that surround your life and in our community. And today, we launch a search and rescue operation for them. And here's what we do. From there, we leave the 99. Every Sunday morning, you leave the 99 and you go out into the marketplace of life. You leave the 99 and you go after your one. And how you do that? How do I go after my one? You ready? You love them. You serve them. You pray for them. And you do everything you can to be Jesus to them. Not just in words, but in deed. And then here's the last step. This is really complex here. We launched the search and rescue mission today. We love, serve, pray for them. And then we have gospel conversations with them. Meaning this, we talk about Jesus to them. The good news of the gospel, what Jesus has done for us. And we invite them to follow him. And if I were to guess, maybe the scariest part of all of this is the last one for you. Hey, good news. Our team has prepared a tab on infocc.org. It is a tab there called Who's Your One? And you know what? You have a video there on me telling you how I share the gospel with my one. There's links and tabs and apps all there. Who's your one material that can help train you on how to have gospel conversations with your one? But guys, I'm telling you, the challenge of today is not only who's your one, 
But when you're one, when you're one to Jesus. Now listen, you can't save anybody. My one from the last campaign is still unsaved. He's still lost. But he's still one of my ones right now. I've got multiple ones. But he's, it's God's job to save. But I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful to launch a search and rescue operation for them. I'm going to be faithful to love and to serve and to pray for them. And I'm going to have gospel conversations with them every chance I get who's your one. You know, the Salvation Army is a pretty incredible organization. It's the only charity that boasts that its organization offers services in every zip code around the world. It services over 58 million meals per year, provides over 10 million nights of shelter alone here in just the United States. It assists more than 200,000 people annually in 142 rehabilitation facilities. The Salvation Army this year will help 30 million Americans with 3.5 million volunteers at 7,500 different centers of operation, which includes over 1,200 thrift shops whose proceeds fully fund the largest free in-residence drug and alcohol rehab program in the United States. So when you go to the Walmart this Christmas time, and, or maybe you go to the Walmart and Food City, wherever you go, and you see one of their 25,000 volunteers who ring bells, Man, give. They do some pretty incredible work. The founder of the Salvation Army, William Booth, was driven with a passion to reach lost people. Nearing the end of his life, in fact, in his last public speech, as he addressed London's Royal Albert Hall on May 9, 1912, I want to read to you how he ended his speech. It's really good. He says this, while women weep as they do now, I will fight. While little children go hungry as they do now, I will fight. When men go to prison in and out, in and out as they do now, I will fight. While there is a drunkard left, while there is a little poor girl lost on the streets, while there remain one dark soul without the light of God, I will fight, I will fight to the very end. And just days later, he died fighting to the end for the lost sheep. What would it be today as we launch our Who's Your One challenge? What would it be if you and I stood up and said, while people remain lost in their sin, I will fight. What if you said in your heart today, I will fight on my knees for my one through prayer. I will fight on my feet for my one through service. I will fight with all of my heart for my one through love. I will fight on with the gospel to win my one to Jesus. Church, who's, who's your one? Let me ask you this. Who's the one whose eternity might very well depend on your willingness today to commit your love and your service and your heart to reaching them? Who's your one? Let's pray together, can we?
Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.